Read with me from Mark chapter 1, verses 40 through 45. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news, so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter." I hope you'll leave your Bibles open with me to Mark chapter 1, verses 40 through 45 as we look at this passage together. I want to begin our time in prayer. Lord God, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you that you have spoken to us already. Uh, we've, we've cried out to you as a deer pants for water. Our souls pant for you. And you've spoken by your word. You've given us your psalm. You've given us your gospel. Lord, I pray that your spirit would make our eyes to see, our ears to hear, and our hearts to believe and to see your grace, our sin, your love for us, your power to cleanse. Let us see your salvation and give you glory this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning we see really one of the most powerful images that we have in the scriptures of sin, sin at work in us. Now, um, one of the things that I've learned along the way about the word sin is people don't really like talking about that. And I actually have a bit of evidence that this is really, really true, not just anecdotal evidence. When I uh, am working on uh, sort of walking through my entire message on a Sunday morning, I'll often preach out loud. And, and if there's a phrase that I want to add into the message before the service, I will dictate it. And I'll, I'll tell Siri, make sure she doesn't start talking. There we go. And uh, I'll say to add that sentence into the text. And I will say often the word sin. And I'll tell you right now, Dictate does not understand the word sin. You try it sometime. You can say it over and over again, and it'll say since, it'll say send, it'll say so, it'll say all kinds of things, but the word sin is very rare that it'll finally get it right on that one. And I'm wondering, how is that? Did somebody at Apple program it that way? I don't think so. I don't think it's that quite that sinister. In fact, I think it's more insidious. It's something about us, that we have a sin problem. We don't like to talk about it. Their algorithms are just looking at the what words we use in language commonly day to day. And that's a word that we don't like to talk about. We talk, like to talk about making mistakes, or we like to say things like my bad, or sometimes we'll be in error, or we'll have a difficult time or a difficult day. But one of the things we don't like to talk about is the fact that we are sinners, that's what this passage presents us with. But let me tell you right now, this passage, as much as it presents for us a, a good theology of sin, it also presents for us what really the topic of the passage is, which is the beauty of Christ's love. 
And we can't talk about Christ's love until we've talked about sin. But once we've realized the desperate place from which God has rescued us, we suddenly realize the beauty of Christ's love for us. Now, I want to talk about leprosy for a moment. Leprosy, Mark records far more of Jesus' miracles than he even does his teaching, particularly in the first half of the book of Mark. He just keeps recording. Immediately he goes here, and he does a miracle. Immediately he goes here, he demonstrates his power. Immediately he goes here, and he's teaching, but then what's recorded for us is a miracle. So evidently, as he went teaching, people were coming to him, and Jesus demonstrated his authority and power in that context. We'll look at that particularly next week. It's interesting that Mark records so many of Jesus's miracles when Jesus's own stated purpose recorded for us in Mark is not miracles, but rather to teach and to proclaim the gospel. Listen to Mark chapter 1 verse 38. Let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. So what in the world is Mark doing in recording all of these miracles for us? Clearly, the purpose that Mark has in recording these miracles is that they too would instruct us something about what Jesus is teaching as he goes from place to place and town to town. Kent Hughes writes of this. He says, all Christ's miracles were parables. They were real. They're not merely parables, but they also serve the purpose of teaching, and so they are parables which visibly portrayed the effects of the Spirit's work among, I would say, in mankind. Realizing then that Christ's miracles were parables, we must note that leprosy was especially symbolic of sin and the healing of it especially a parable of deliverance from sin. Because as much as I talked about sin, you're looking at the passage and you're saying it doesn't say it. No, but it does say the word leprosy. And leprosy was more than a miracle or more than a, more than a, a metaphor for sin. It was a living on the flesh embodiment of what it looks like on the inside of us and the circumstance of our distance from our God and his creation in our sin. This week's passage and its overtones of Jesus demonstration over the authority to cleanse will transition into next week's passage where he clearly demonstrates in that miracle his power to forgive sin. This is where Mark is going with all of these miracles and particularly today as he addresses leprosy, the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sin. You can't see that. You can't see what it looks like when someone's cleansed on the inside. But you can see what it looks like when a leper is made clean. This morning's passage is about far more than a healing like what we saw last week. Last week, we considered Jesus' healing of Simon's mother-in-law who had a fever. This morning's passage gives us a glimpse of more than a healing. It gives us a glimpse of a cleansing. Jesus' cleansing power. Look at the passage with me. Verse 40 begins this way. And the leper came to him. A leper came to him. That's a really big deal. Already we have an, a, a, 
a massive amount of information and a compelling reality. There are over 70 skin conditions that are counted as leprosy. We get a glimpse of the variety of these conditions by looking at Leviticus chapter 13. And I would encourage you to to jot that down in the margin of your Bible there. Let Leviticus 13 and 14 as it describes boils and itches and burns and diseases of the hair and of the beard. All of these diseases were dangerous, often contagious, and had numerous external evidences of an uncleanness and disease. So to discover that you have leprosy meant not only, and friends, this is sufficient, to wake up one morning and find a white spot on your arm, you began to question, not only might I suffer in the flesh, it also meant that you would be removed from the community, removed from your job, removed from your family, removed from your home, and you had to live out your days as long as you were unclean outside the city, alone. No more touch, No more conversation or consolation. No more human physical encouragement. And any time you came near somebody, you had to cry out, unclean, unclean. Imagine waking up one morning to discover what was true about you. You're unclean. Here's Leviticus chapter 13, verses 45 and 46, speaking about This set of diseases, the leprous person who had the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. All of this and, and, Because of this, you were cut off from worship. Hear that. That's not just a a side consequence. That's a central reality of what it means to be unclean. You were cut off from worship. You were ceremonially unclean. And therefore, you could not present yourself at the temple at the appointed times and participate with the worship of God among the congregation of the people of God. You have been cut off. It would be too much to say that you were cut off from God himself, but it was true that you were cut off from the worship of God according to his appointed ways and cut off from life in the midst of the people of God. So you can clearly see the plight of the leper represents the plight of the sinner. Do you see it? What is the consequence of our sin? Not only that we struggle in our relationships, often being cut off from one another, but that our sin puts us in a place where we are cut off from the worship of our God. Leprosy is not merely a metaphor for sin. It's the closest thing that we have to a walking physical manifestation of the reality of our inner condition. Rabbis would call a person with leprosy like one who is walking dead. They looked like it. 
and their life was experienced like it. But let me ask you this. Is there a better description for our spiritual condition? You know, one of the questions that I ask, and I ask it with, with compassion, who in the world deserves to have leprosy? I mean, hear this. Imagine waking up tomorrow, and this is you now. And then realize that it's the wrong question. It's not who in the world deserves to have leprosy. It's that there's not a person in this room, including the preacher, my friends, who doesn't have a condition that is far worse. And it's not a concern that I'd wake up like that tomorrow. It's that I waked up, I woke up like that this morning apart from Christ. Do you believe that? Do you feel like that like you felt compassion, fear for the leper? Do you understand the seriousness of your real spiritual condition. One of my concerns about the word spiritual is spiritual is almost like a, a code word for not real, like just spiritual. It's just sort of spiritual. It's not a real thing. It's just a spiritual thing. Friends, there's no more real thing than a spiritual thing, you see. It's just I can see it with my eyes. I can see the leper. When I see the leper, and when I live in fear of leprosy, I begin to see the reality of my spiritual condition. I want you to make sure that you understand this. We understand this. Uh, one commentator writes that sin is any deviation from a divinely revealed will. What are we talking about when we're talking about sin? Any deviation from a divinely revealed will. God has shown us how to live in the world, and he's shown us his will for us. He's shown us his will by, first of all, showing us himself. How does God reveal to us his will for us in this life? He's shown us his will by showing us himself. We discover how to live by observing the character of our God and the ways of God himself. And the second way, he has shown us his will for us to live by giving us explicit commands that both hold out what is good for us and what is prohibited for, for, for us. So that when God comes to Adam and Eve in the garden, he'd already instructed them regarding a few things. And then he says that he would give to them all of the fruit, all of the produce that is in the garden, all of his creation. Friends, that's a command to go and enjoy that which is good. And he prohibits them from but one tree in the garden. And he reveals further his command via prohibition. Here's how New City Catechism defines sin. It says sin is rejecting and ignoring God in the world he created. I love that. Sin is rejecting and ignoring God in the world he created. And secondly, sin is not being and doing what he requires in his law. Do you see it? These two ways God has shown us his will for us. And sin 
is to reject God's will for our lives, to shake our fist in the air at God and say, on my own, apart from God and apart from his will, I can live. But God, the good and righteous judge, will not allow sin to remain in his good kingdom. He will not, his will will be done on earth as as it is in heaven. And he's revealed what his will is, and his will is righteousness. And he will have it. And so his judgment upon sin is to cut off the sinner from his presence. Really, God's judgment upon sin is to reveal the foolishness of our pride that we can live, even flourish, apart from God and his will. That's what we say. God, I can live. I can flourish apart from you and apart from your command. And God says, try it. Try it. His judgment is just a revelation of the foolishness of our pride. He says, if you reject my command, you will surely die. So to be a sinner is to be under God's judgment of death. Though we live, we will surely die. We are In our real spiritual condition, we are as the walking dead. And our sin infects us like a festering disease. We are unclean. We're not affected by unclean. We are unclean in our sin. Now this passage, we got to get that, friends. We need to not remove the word sin from our vocabulary so that our dictation devices don't even recognize when we say it because it's so unexpected that we talk about something that describes our spiritual condition so realistically. What we have in this passage is a description of what God does about sin. The power of Jesus the Messiah over our sinful condition. I would look at it with three words. The words ready, willing, and able. There are three things that are necessary for this man to be healed. He must be ready. The Lord must be willing. And the Lord must be able. I want to look at them by beginning at the end. We're going to look at able. I begin with this last one because it's the easiest one to answer. Look at chapter 1 verse 40 and the leper came to him imploring him kneeling said to him if you will make me clean if you will you can't you can make me clean you see the word can you're able i know it there's little to no question in this passage about jesus's ability to cleanse and so really the first one able or the third one in my list is already answered for us. The, the, the leper's under no illusion. There's something about this man that he has authority to cleanse the leper. The, the next two words are the real questions. They're the questions that, that hang us up about our own cleansing. The first is ready. The leper, it says, came to him. It says he was imploring him. And it says he was kneeling. The leper's humility, his humble faith, could not be clearer. Friends, the leper is ready. But what makes him ready? The fact is, he shouldn't have come in the first place. He wasn't supposed to. The leper defies not only social convention, but the law itself by coming. He isn't supposed to come up to a guy and say something like, 
if you will, you can make me clean. He's supposed to stay away from the guy. And if the guy comes anywhere close, he's just simply supposed to say, unclean, unclean. But this man knows his condition and he's ready to be healed. He's ready to be cleansed. The leper is under no illusions about his condition, his disease, and his need. He is desperate, and so he comes to Jesus. There is a beautiful word that's probably the best description of this condition. Not the condition of sin, but the condition of being ready. When Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. This man didn't come with anything and say, hey, Jesus, I just want to let you know, took a bath this morning, got all cleaned up. I did my best to to cover up as much as I could. I got cleansed as well as I could. And now I'm ready for you to finish the job as I know you're able. No, he knows he's unclean. And the only thing he brings to Jesus on that day is his poverty, his need. He is poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Note the leper's request. The leper's request is, you can make me clean. You see, Jesus doesn't heal the leper. It's really important. He cleanses the leper. There's a difference. James Edwards writes, Jesus doesn't, other illnesses had to be healed, but leprosy had to be cleansed. You see, sickness is something that happens to you. There's a sense in which, though it afflicts you, it's still external to you. The virus is an external invader that makes its way onto the inside. Your body is not it. Your body rather fights it. And then eventually your body wins or Jesus heals you and then you're all better. Sickness is a foreign invader, but the leper isn't merely afflicted with a sickness. He is infected with a disease. It's changed more than his circumstances. It's changed his identity. You see that when you look at the description of leprosy in Leviticus 13. You are unclean. He needed more than healing. He needed to be cleansed. Can you this morning see that you are unclean? Friends, I think this is one of the greatest problems. Honestly, the longer you've been around the church, it would seem the less likely it is that you understand that apart from Jesus' cleansing grace, you are, are unclean. Do you understand that your sin isn't something that happens to you? Sin isn't something that was laid upon you against your will. It's more than something you do sometimes. Which I think is the way that we tend to present our sin. Yeah, I did a bad thing the other day, but for the most part, it's been a good week. It's the way we think of ourselves. But at least I didn't do as many bad things or as bad of bad things as someone else that I know. You see. Sin is not something that we do sometimes. Sin is the way that we are. The theological term for this is total depravity. To be clear, total depravity, this does not mean that you are the worst possible sinner that you could be. That's not what total depravity means. I don't want to see that. 
okay? You're not the worst possible sinner that you could be. What it means is there is no part of who you are that is not touched by sin's disease. There's no part of who you are. There is no thing that you can do that is not touched by your sin. There's no good deed that can squeak out of one of us on the side. Sin isn't just our circumstance. It has become our identity. So the question for you and I this morning in the face of this passage is how have you ever knelt before the Redeemer to admit that you are a sinner? It's an actual question. Are you asking it? Have you ever knelt before the Redeemer to admit that you are a sinner? Jesus is able. The leper, he's willing. He comes poor in spirit. He's ready. The question now that leper brings to Jesus, is Jesus willing? Is Jesus too disgusted by the disease such that he would be unwilling to cleanse? I know you're able to cleanse, but are you willing to cleanse me? Some of you right now, even though you've done this before, when I asked you, have you knelt before the Savior to admit that you're a sinner? You've had a hard time doing anything but that. Because you're too scared from that position. Because you know the depravity of your sin. To consider that Jesus is actually willing. He actually does cleanse. Is this man, this leper, in his uncleanness beyond cleansing? Is he beyond hope? Really, the question gets to the heart of the matter. Is Jesus the Redeemer... Or is he willing to leave people in their uncleanness who come to him in faith? Is he the Redeemer or is he not? This is a crucial hang-up for many. For some, you have to do little to convince them that they are sinners. They know it. And this is where the problems begin. They've come to believe that God would have nothing to do with them. Sermons like this morning that talk about sin, you're like, not that again. Of all the things in the world I don't need to be convinced of, I know my sin and I'm ashamed. I'm ashamed. I live in shame because of my sin. But Jesus, Jesus is a redeemer. And he looks at those who are sinners and cleanses. But you look at him and you say, sure, he's God and all. He's able. But he's God and all, surely. Surely he wouldn't touch someone who has messed up so badly as me. If you are willing, you could make me clean, but I'm not even going to ask because I know you'd never do something like that. I've messed up too bad. I can't say how many times someone's come to me and they've begun to share their sin with me. And I begin to feel as though they're expecting some sort of shocked reaction. Like they finally come to the place where they're willing to tell one soul about what's really going on inside. 
what they've really done, and they're expecting some sort of reaction on my face. I'm a pastor. What's a pastor going to say now that I'm saying these sort of things? But the fact is, I'm not surprised by sin anymore. But I'm not surprised by sin anymore for two reasons, because I've read the Word too many times. I've spent time in the Gospels, and I know the condition of mankind. And secondly, I've spent too much time with me. Your sin doesn't surprise me because my sin has ceased to surprise me. You see, unclean, that is the right word for us sitting there together as you're sharing your mess, your sin. Unclean is the right word for us, but I am willing That's the right word for Jesus. And that's the beauty of confession in the church. Because as someone sits there and confesses their sin to another brother, another sister, the other brother, the other sister is waiting. They're just sort of waiting for the person to stop and say, he's willing, you know. You need not be. You're guilty. (laughs) You're guilty but you need not be ashamed anymore. He's already outed your sin. You think your sin's bad? You don't know how bad it is until you look at the cross and see the justice of God coming down on the Son of Man on that day. And we see that's how vile, that's how guilty you are. But that's what he did for you. He's willing to forgive your sin. You see, when we confess our sin to one another, what we do is we open up the beauty of the proclamation of grace. Both of these errors, not being willing and not being ready, the sense that the Lord is not willing and not being ready to confess will prevent a person from coming to the Lord in faith. But the Lord is able to cleanse. And he will cleanse those who confess their need And do not hide in their shame. So I would call you sinner. I'm unashamed to do so. For this is what we are apart from Christ. Are you willing to admit your need for cleansing? And then do you see the Redeemer who is willing to forgive your sin and cleanse you of all unrighteousness? Look at what Jesus does. Look at what Jesus does in the passage. Verse 42, and immediately. I appreciate that Mark waited to put that word in here. Verse 40 doesn't begin with immediately. The leper simply came up to him. Verse 40, Jesus is moved with pity. He stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will Be clean, and immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. How was he made clean? By some great work of the leper, after Jesus gave him three easy steps to clean yourself up if you come to him in faith. No. By the power, touch, and compassion, the redeeming grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that will ultimately be revealed in the cross, On that authority alone, immediately, 
the leprosy left him. Eight times in Mark, Jesus reaches out and touches someone. The leper and others discover that the kingdom is literally at hand. The distance between sinners and the kingdom is literally the length of Jesus' own arm. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God in Christ has brought the kingdom near to sinners and Jesus himself breaches that final gap with the touch of his own hand? Eight times Mark records for us that Jesus reaches out his hand to demonstrate and operate grace. But there is no more scandalous touch in all of the Gospel of Mark than this one. This man has leprosy. Do you get that? He has leprosy. He hasn't been touched in years. And certainly not by smooth, clean skin. Imagine being a man unclean, touched by Jesus, touched by Jesus on that day. It's a scandal, a beautiful, scandalous grace. The passage says that Jesus was moved with pity. It's a complicated phrase to translate. Jesus understands the weight of our uncleanness, and he doesn't just understand it with a detached empathy He's not like a doctor who is examining test results and offering a diagnosis with the words, hmm, I'm sorry, this might be hard to hear. Jesus is right there, and he's right there with his gut, is what it's saying. His stomach was turned in that moment. And I wonder if this verse from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, is, is in operation in that moment. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Think about divine judgment for a second. Now, there's another one. I'm not going to ask her to translate it, but that's another one that I think that Siri might not get right, right? There's one we don't talk about. But think about divine judgment for a second. Sickness, disease, death, all of these are God's judgment upon sin. That is not to say, listen, that is not to say that the leper was suffering the disease because of some specific sin that was in operation upon him in that particular moment or on that day that he woke up with a white spot in his skin. Now, that happened a few times in Scripture. But that's not automatically what is true of the leprous man. But his suffering, this disease, this walking death, is there for the same reason that all suffering and ultimately all death is in the world. Because we're all sinners. And through our sin, in our first parents, Adam and Eve, and everyone who has followed after them since suffering death has entered this world as judgment upon the sins of the world. And friends, that judgment is right. It is righteous. It is the work of a good king to judge sinners who run amok in his kingdom. 
So for Jesus to heal the disease and cleanse the lepers, he's reversing the righteous curse of death. Now think about that for a moment. How is that just? If justice, judgment, sin and death is right, how can Jesus step in and reverse the curse? Is he going against the will of God, the decree of God's judgment with healing? Is there some sort of war at work in the Trinity of a disagreement about how to go about justice in the world? This is why we must speak of Jesus not only as healer, but as redeemer. Listen, Jesus isn't just making bad things go away. We don't tell Jesus, I'm unclean. He says, don't worry about it. I'll just make it go away. We'll sweep it under the rug. Maybe the Father won't notice. Jesus knows that on the cross, he himself will suffer the judgment that the disease itself represents. Do you understand that? Whatever judgment was for the world represented in this man's disease, whatever judgment that is represented by death in this world, disease and all suffering, Jesus would die that death. He would suffer that judgment on the cross. So Jesus is not sweeping this man's leprosy under the rug. He's burying it in the justice on the cross. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This verse highlights the scandal of the episode. I'll mention again, Jesus doesn't heal the man. He cleanses the man. Last week we saw that he healed the fever. He healed many diseases, but he cleanses the leper. When Jesus took the hand of Simon's mother-in-law, nobody gasped and said, now Jesus has a fever. Do you see it? No, he just healed her, helped her up out of bed, and then they enjoyed an afternoon until people came to the house at the end of the Sabbath day. But when the unclean touches the clean, everybody knows how that works. Jesus is now unclean, right? Obviously, that's how it works. This is the way of things. This is the order of the world. When unclean touches clean, clean gets dirty. I can illustrate this in the most clear and simple of ways. When my son puts on his I-do-not-know-why white soccer uniform... And for years, would go out onto a field and play soccer on the dirt. And for some reason, evidently, soccer is supposed to be played rolling around on the ground. And when he rolls around and slides on the ground, what happens when clean touches dirty? It becomes unclean. This is the way of the world. We all know it. And everyone expected that to be true on that day. The same is true for leprosy. This is the only way that it works. If a leper touches someone or someone touches a leper, the unclean makes the clean dirty and the diseased makes the healthy sick. But Jesus completely, as he always does, upends the way of the world, doesn't he? And when clean touches unclean, the unclean is cleansed. That is the scandal of grace. When the righteous one touches the unrighteous, 
the the unrighteous are made clean. He introduces the glory of redemption. Jesus, the righteous one, the only clean one, touches the unclean, and the unclean becomes clean. But as we see on the cross, Jesus doesn't just merely make unclean become unclean. He'll do business with the unclean, and he'll make atonement for our sin, and all the effects of our sin in the world comes crashing down on the cross through his suffering and death, and he makes atonement for our sin, our death, and disease, so that we can say, oh, death, where is your sting? Where's the death part of death? Where's the suffering part of suffering? You see, that's already been suffered. That's already been died by Christ on the cross. You have nothing for me. I've been made clean by a redeemer. There's something very serious for us here. See, many come to Jesus even throughout the Gospel of Mark, and many still come today, perhaps even you this morning. You come to him because he can fix your circumstance, something that has happened around you or to you. He can heal something that we think of as external to ourselves. We think of ourselves as victims stuck in the fallenness of the world around us. But Jesus isn't just a healer of persons who are victims of external circumstances. Jesus is the one who cleanses those whose affliction is the very uncleanness of their own hearts. Friends, this morning, Jesus sees you in your sin, whether you're ready or not. He sees and he knows, and he's moved with pity, love for his people. By his grace is an operation. There's no greater grace and loving kindness in the world than that Jesus would cleanse sinners. Now, it's interesting what Jesus says to the leper. Verse 43, Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once, said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone But go and show yourself to the priests and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for proof to them, not so that you might be cleansed, but for proof that I have already cleansed you. Immediately the leprosy left him. See that you tell no one, verse 45, and he went out and began to talk freely about it. Okay. Spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every corner. Quarter. Similar to how Jesus told the demons to be silent, he tells this now cleansed former leper to be silent. Well, what is it? When this man went out and he began to spread the news against Jesus' instruction for him, we could deal with that later. What did he talk about? Did he talk about Jesus is able to cleanse lepers? No, he, everybody knew that. He knew that when he came up to him. You're able. Are you willing? What did he talk about? Jesus was willing. How did he say it? Jesus touched me. I have to think that the testimony of the leper went something like this. You all know that Jesus is a miracle worker. You all know that he has the power to heal. News of his miracles are all over Galilee by this time. But what you probably haven't heard is that he's not only able to heal, he's willing to cleanse. When I 
came to him. The evidence of my disease was all over my flesh. But he was moved when he saw me, and he was willing and reached out and touched me. And instead of him being unclean, I was cleansed. That is the testimony of the redeemed. You see, I came to him, I was crying out, but he was not only able, but he was willing to stretch out his hand. I will be clean, he said. You see, the leper didn't do what Jesus said. Perhaps he did eventually make his way to the priests and and confirm the cleansing, but he didn't stop speaking and the word spread so that Jesus was unable to enter all the towns of the region without being swarmed with need and questions and even challenges to his own authority that we see grow up in the chapters to come. I even wonder if this man was in large part responsible for much of the challenges that we'll see in chapter 2. But James Edwards, a commentator, writes, Jesus was Relieved, has relieved the leper of his burden. But in broadcasting the news, the leper imposes a burden on Jesus, for he could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Jesus and the leper have traded places. This is an incredible image of the theme of our passage. You see, when Jesus cleanses, he does more than remove the affliction. Jesus truly cleanses of sin. The only way sin can truly be cleansed. He takes the place of the sinner. The people of the region did not yet fully understand this. They couldn't fully understand it until the cross. And so Jesus tells the leper, don't talk about it because all you're going to wind up talking about is that which spreads misunderstanding about who I am. All they see is the miracle of a cleansing. They aren't going to see how I cleanse yet. It's for this reason that Jesus repeatedly instructs those he heals to be silent. The revelation of his authority to cleanse will not ultimately come in his teaching nor in his cleansing. The ultimate revelation of his authority to cleanse is going to come on the cross. But that's not where we live anymore, is it? We who have come to the Savior who is able, who are ready, poor in spirit, discover his touch of grace that he is willing. For we who have been cleansed, we aren't anticipating how he did it. We know. We live on this side of the cross. We know what he has done about my uncleanness. R.C. Sproul says this, Now that Jesus has been to the cross, died and risen again, and been raised to the right hand of the Father, the messianic secret is no longer in effect. The church is charged with telling one and all about Jesus. And in our proclamation, we don't just proclaim, he can cleanse you. We can say how. And so we become preachers of the power of the cross. This is the message I hope you've heard this morning. I hope you've heard the power of Jesus Christ to take your place on a cross, to die your death in your place that you might be cleansed. And as we will celebrate next week, that he rises victorious over sin and death, ascends to heaven. He precedes us that we may be called to him forever. Have you 
received that grace? Do you know that touch? Are you willing to admit your sin? Admit what he already knows about you and stop hiding in your shame and take hold of the grace of his hand. And if this is you, friends, what's wrong with us? The leper didn't even know what he was proclaiming and he couldn't stop. Is proclamation of our cleansing on our lips? One of the reasons why, even as I'm preaching, I'm kind of nervous. I don't want to preach that you're sinners if you've been cleansed. But one of the things that might be valuable for us, and even valuable in our time of a prayer of confession, is to remember what we are apart from Christ. And in that place, we are in wonder anew at the power and the love of his grace. And as we're confronted with that, would we become proclaimers of that grace? Heavenly Father, I pray that the proclamation of grace would make its way to an ear and a heart now. That one who has been hiding in shame or unwilling to confess their sin today would see that there is a Savior who is able, that they would come to him in faith and see that he is willing. Lord, I pray that you would grant that faith, call that sinner to yourself, And for all of us who have been called, who have received your cleansing, who have been made new, redeemed by your grace, that we would become proclaimers of that great grace. That we could see the depth of our depravity and the glory of your grace and proclaim the cross that has made up that infinite chasm. Thank you, Lord. We love you. And that itself is grace because you have loved us first. Thank you, Lord. We pray this in the name of that love. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.